Welcome to the Fish Nerds. It's the latest about fish, fishing, and eating fish that's always interesting, usually funny, and mostly true. I'm Dave. And I'm Clay. And anything is fair game. It's a good bet that I will want to fly to the moon after, after talking about blue tang. <laughs> Oh, Tang, I get it. <laughs> the juice of astronauts, Dave. That's, <laughs> That's very good. Yeah, very yeah, nice. I wrote that. So, <laughs> We have a guest in the house. Yeah, the guest. We have Rhett Talbot. Rhett Talbot is an award-winning writer and photojournalist with over two decades of experience covering stories from some of the more remote corners of the globe. From icy summits of the Andes to the reefs of <laughs> Papua New Guinea... <laughs> <laughs> I had a hard time reading this earlier. I was thinking, Papa, Papao, New Guinea. Papao. I like Pa-pow. that one, yeah. His assignments have taken him off the beaten track and put his readers face-to-face with stories of adventure, new ideas, and innovative approaches to commonplace issues. Rhett, welcome to the show, and tell us what you're drinking tonight. Thank you very much. Um, I am drinking a, um, a lager, which is unusual for me, mm-hmm. from, uh, from Banded Horn, which is uh, a favorite local brewery here in Maine. Oh, Dave, what are you drinking? I am drinking Dogfish Head uh, IPA, 90-minute. Thank you very much. Never go wrong with that. Uh, and I've got a uh, Ballast Point Pineapple Sculpin tonight, and I'm drinking it out of a Karen Talbot Angler's Pint. As am I, but I have the rainbow trout. Oh, you have mine. You're dirtying my, my cup. <laughs> no, I actually have a seconds that she gave to me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Miss Prince. <laughs> yeah. are, are they like yeah. foul, foul hooked and stuff like that? Is that what makes them? <laughs> yes. Ex- you know, we should do that. We should have a whole line of foul hooked. That would be fantastic. It's a good name. No, this, this one has a bubble on the rim. Oh, ruined mm. everything. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, and the reason we're saying that, I met Rhett uh, last year, Karen... Uh, Talbot um, from Karen Talbot Art started a series of uh, pint glasses called Angler's Pints, and my family went out to her art gallery, and we drank beer with Rhett and Karen and did a whole show there. And and then while we were there, Rhett says, hey, next year when Finding Dory comes out, I want to talk to you about the Blue Tang. So when it came out, that's why we called you. Here we are. Here we are. It's your idea. But before we do that, we always do small talk. Uh, have you been fishing recently? Uh, I have, yes, actually. What for? What? Well, I spent the um, <laughs> recently. That's a good question. I, I spent the entire month of uh, April fishing in Florida for invasive species for an article I'm working on. So that was uh, fascinating, catching Oscar and cichlids and other assorted um, invasive species in Florida on the fly. Wow. Uh, more recently, I've been fishing just our local river here, the St. George's, which is unfortunately. Way too warm now, so uh, we're looking at um, getting into bass season. Yeah, that's not too bad. Now, when you, were, bad. when you were in Florida catching invasives, were you eating any of them? Um, we actually didn't, unfortunately. Um, usually I do, but we were. Um, I was traveling from spot to spot and staying at uh, 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 hotels that are not um, recommended by anyone uh, <laughs> on a nightly basis. I understand. Rooms by the hour. Exactly. Yeah, pretty close. Yeah. Are, have you, are you familiar with Jackson Landers? I'm not. So he wrote a book called Eating Aliens, where he traveled around eating invasive species. Oh, of course. Yeah, I know the book. Yeah. I just didn't know the name. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, I was curious. Yeah. Anyway, he, he had a lot of cool stuff down in Florida. Yeah. No, it's an important thing to do. It is. Yeah. How about you, Dave? Any fishing? Uh, yes. And luckily, there is a pond right near where I work. Um, I, and I, I, what I do is I try to knock off maybe 15 minutes early. 
and swing by, and I have about eight spots that I drop a Senko worm in, and I'm getting bass about two out of eight right now. That's not bad. Yeah. Actually, so. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> how, do you, how do you rig your worm? Uh, y'all, interesting, interesting that you brought that up. Sort of interesting. Um, I used to be cheap and just jab them through the middle, right? Right. But when you catch a fish, it almost instantly throws that, that Senko, and those things are expensive. Right. Through the middle is like the wacky worm, right? Yeah, I, I'm wacky all the way. Yeah. And uh, so then I went and bought another thing, which God, I've got to stop buying things. Um, but I bought the little uh, the little rubber band thing. And oh, that, you actually bought the adapter? I did. I thought no one ever did that. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I it, do. It's a little. It's a little like plastic gasket, right? Just a just a circle of, of plastic. Yeah, it's like a little hernia belt or something yeah. that they put on them. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it totally works. And they don't throw the they don't throw the expensive worm. So I've been very happy about that. Oh, I'll have to try that now. Yeah. What about you? Well, Father's Day, my family says, "Hey, Clay, let's go trout fishing." Mm-hmm. And so we went up to the Swift River on the Kankamongas Highway. Nice. Um, yeah, good place. And we there's a place called Rocky Gorge. And I know in the bottom of the gorge, it's about, about a six or ten foot drop to the water, right below the rapids, a bunch of fish hang out there. Mm-hmm. And so fishing off a cliff with my six-year-old and my nine-year-old. And my wife is a nervous person, so she's not happy with the choice. But, you know, it's Father's Day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I caught a couple little fish. My kids couldn't touch them because we were fishing so high up. And we kept seeing this really big trout scoot out and chase worms but not eat anything. And so I'm looking at my tackle box, and all I could find is a spoon made for trolling that we call the, uh, the Wonder Bread because it's this big old fish-looking metal spoon that looks like Wonder Bread. It's got that pattern of dots on it. And I vertical jigged that off that cliff, and that huge trout, one of the biggest I've ever caught, hook grabbed it right away. And as I was landing, I had to climb down. I'm using four-pound test. I had to climb down the cliff, and I'm reaching down for the fish, and, and I'm trying to grab the lure hanging out of its mouth, but I grabbed the line. And what happens when you grab line when you're fishing? Every time, what happens? We all know. It's like the instant, that's it. It's you know, gone. It's gone. Yeah, We're breaking yeah. it. Yep. Breaks off, right. So anyway. Bye-bye. Yeah, I lost my $7 lure and my fish of a lifetime. <sighs> that's how it always goes. It ruined Father's Day, and so the rest of the day I just yelled <laughs> at my kids and told them they were good for nothing. Yeah, well, that happens. <laughs> yeah, that does that's how happen. I celebrated, yeah. So. <laughs> Very so good. That's, that's it. So that's our small talk. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty good small talk. Yeah, but let's get on with uh, with why we're here. All right, we didn't. You know, Rhett's a big time. <laughs> uh huh. That's yeah. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a kind of country kind of feel. Yeah. Go ahead. Keep talking. All right. So Rhett Talbot is a big time writer, photojournalist, travels the world, knows everything about everything, and so we're going to talk about aquarium fish, which we never do on the show. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> Uh, well, just aquarium fish in general. Uh, do you have aquariums set up right now in your house, Rhett? Well, first of all, I, I'd like to be the guy that you keep uh, introducing because his life sounds amazing. <laughs> um, but beyond that, no, I do not currently have an aquarium. Uh, my wife and I moved to Maine in 2012, and uh, we are in the process of bringing a um, 19th century farmhouse back to uh, its glory, hopefully. Yeah, I got to say, hang on a second. I've been to your house, and it's, it's really it. It's in Rockland, Maine. Uh, and, and anyone can visit. It's an art gallery. Please. And 
And we were walking your property, and it's beautiful, like beautiful property. It's very well organized and maintained. And like every 25 feet is a beer bottle that's really it's fancy looking and nice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like the who's who of worldwide beers. It's, it could be a museum, outside museum for beer. Yeah. I, I did do at the at the behest of my wife. I did do a um, a a serious cleanup of beer bottles around the property. Ah, uh, what a shame! Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. Not nearly quite the museum it used to be. Oh well, then I'm not coming back. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I do not have an aquarium presently. Um, my wife and I both, uh, you know, she's a she's a scientific illustrator and focus on fishes. So we both um, we both have a pretty fishy life. But um, but currently there are no fish living in the house. Mm, yeah, very good. What about jellyfish? You had jellyfish last time I was there. We did. Yeah, that was a project she was working on, and um, she uh, we completed that project, and we no longer have the jellyfish. What'd you do with them? Uh, ate them. Flush them. <laughs> Wait, did you say you ate them? Um, I actually have eaten jellyfish in the past, but we did not eat these ones. Um, <laughs> these ones, um, these ones actually uh, jellyfish. Uh, over time, uh, they kind of they kind of uh, get smaller and smaller, and then kind of disappear altogether. Really. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they can't just disappear. Well, I'm, you know, there's still bits of them somewhere, I suppose. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yes, I, I'm not terribly well versed in, uh, in in the biology and life cycle of jellyfish, but um, but I actually know a lot about their anatomy from the illustrations that Karen did. Wow, that's that's really cool. I like the idea of you just fade away. You know, <sighs> you don't die. Yeah. You don't have to bury a jellyfish. Yeah. No, just, you don't. Just goes, I think poof. I think all pets should do that. <laughs> Like, how cool it's would it be? Oh, I got this cat. It's like 28 years old. <laughs> like, instead of getting an old cat, wouldn't it be great if like, about 15 years old, you started like fading away, and then all of a sudden, poof, gone. Yep, pop. No burial, no flushing things on the toilet. They're just gone. God, that would be good. That would or be... like grandma. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that would save a lot, wouldn't it? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Okay. All right. Blue tang. <laughs> Blue tang. Blue Tang. All right. So uh, a lot of talk on the internet about Blue Tang. A lot. A lot. Uh, and it, it's, the, it's the hot topic. First of all, have you seen the movie yet? I have not seen the movie yet. I ah. actually was, um, I was uh, speaking at the uh, New England Aquarium the night that it premiered here in Rockland. So, uh, so I spoke about the Blue Tang on the night the movie premiered, but I have not seen it. Right. Now, that's shocking that he has a giant premiere in Rockland, Maine. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a everything in rockland maine is giant that's true <laughs> all right very good well this? well then to commemorate this um we have decided to do a little thing that we are calling um the facebook theater Ooh, i love it welcome to facebook theater <laughs> This is an original script from the Fish Nerds Facebook page. Today, the characters will be James Frank, who will be played by Clay Groves. Yay! (laughs) Dave Perry, who will be played by Dave Callum. And Rhett Talbot will play himself. Excellent. (laughs) Good choice. (laughs) Good choice. That's what I thought. Uh, All right. Shall we go? Let's go. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll begin. I'm going to do James Frank. You ready? Yep. All right. Now, they just need to boost the price tenfold and we'll be okay. This is referring to some pictures of uh, a dory for sale at Petco for fifty four ninety nine. Very good. Yeah. And then are you going to play yourself as well, Clay? I am, okay. yeah. So, 
Did you hear Dory and her sick quarantine friends are going to be in the next sequel where they look for anything that's alive after the episodic that wiped out the oceans and all the kids released their sick pets? Along the way, they swim through an ocean full of dead red-eared slider turtles released by kids at a PETA beach party in a neighborhood lake full of invasive predatory aquarium species, including a Paku that works for a vet to help him neuter stray dogs. It's going to be epic. <laughs> Agreed. That families with no clue should refrain from keeping these fish. But with that said, I had a hippo tang for six years, and it was still thriving when I sold it uh, to another Aquarist. There are a lot of captive-bred fish in the market. That could be why the prices aren't astronomically high. P. Hepatis, I love it that I use a scientific name, <laughs> a.k.a. Dory, <laughs> has yet to be aquacultured, so all come from wild reefs. In the marine aquarium world, wild fishers are generally less expensive, and aquacultured ones are more expensive, the converse of freshwater aquarium fishes. Well, Lottie, freaking God! <laughs> Find me a captive-bred hippo tang! Usually, captive bread is pricier because of the overhead of rearing and raising marketable size. At least at first, until the methods are more widespread. I'm just saying that raising the price astronomically would make it harder to purchase one, regardless of where they're from. But this isn't the bigger problem this movie franchise is causing. <clears throat> The real issue is that people are learning from cartoons that sets pets free in the wild. And anyone who doesn't see that that's a problem should touch base with the Florida Department of Fish and Wildlife Conservation. You won't find a captive bred P. hepatis. Ah! Ellipses, yet. (laughs) The price of most wild-caught marine aquarium fishes should be higher as the perpetual race to the bottom has made it far more difficult to support sustainable aquarium fisheries that bring both environmental and socioeconomic benefit to reefside communities. Having said that, Petco has taken more positive steps than much of the industry. The non-native species issue is certainly one of the largest issues of, of the, tra- uh, the trade. It's one of the largest issues the trade has failed to address, although I'm far, from, I'm far more concerned about the groupers than the tanks. Mm. One like. <laughs> because of predation, <laughs> I expect, which is one of the many problems caused by the spread of non-natives. But any species that takes a niche or niche for the French out there <laughs> from another has the potential to degrade the entire ecosystem, let alone serve as a vector of the foreign illness. No likes. <laughs> but edited. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> And to think how aggressively so many states introduce non-native species to create added recreational angling opportunities. Heck, Florida <laughs> even has bag limits on some. Thank you, Transcontinental Railroad. One Sorry, like. Has... <laughs> One like, yeah. That was me. I liked it. You did. <laughs> because that's great that you know that the Transcontinental Railroad was so connected to distributing fish across the country. Well, we should oh, tell you, thanks. The Amazing James is part of our show. He, uh, he's, hey, um, I know that. He's part of the F and West team out in California. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the reason we did this is I asked everyone who commented <laughs> here to call in and leave us a voicemail, and they didn't. So the price <laughs> of, of you not calling in is we'll do the voice for you. <laughs> That'll teach them. Uh, you did a good job, Rhett. You sounded remarkably like Rhett Talbot. I like know. I 
<laughs> you know, a, lo- a lot of times Rhett could be a little snooty, and I thought you pulled that off really well. Yeah, although you were very happy with yourself using scientific language. <laughs> you know, I don't usually engage in these Facebook dialogues, um, uh-huh. and I and I the last six months I've actually uh, am doing a little bit of a scientific experiment where I'm engaging in these sorts of things rather than my usual Facebook uh, messages that have to do with beer and other things. Well, beer's interesting, too. Yeah, it can be. Yeah, but we're glad you chimed in here, and it works out really well for the show. So we should kind of back up a little bit and talk about what is the story about Dory? Why are people concerned about, about the movie and this pet fish? What's the, what's the background there? Well, the, the, um, the narrative in the media is, um, is this. Uh, 2003, Finding Dory, or sorry, Finding Nemo comes out. And uh, as the narrative goes in the media, everyone decides they need a clownfish. Mm-hmm. So everybody rushes out, buys a clownfish. Clownfish sales go through the roof. As a result, the narrative continues in the media. Um, uh, wild populations of clownfish are, are decimated um, and, uh, and things are horrible. Uh, fast forward to 2016, Finding Dory comes out and uh, the narrative is extended and people say, you know, this is going to create this massive demand for blue tang. Uh, the fish that Dory is, and that's going to be a real problem for the species. So that's the general narrative. Now, having said that, that narrative is um, is not supported by the extant data, but that is the narrative. Right, but data data doesn't matter to most people. Right. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> right. Hashtag data matter. <laughs> Love it. So, so we Clay and I both saw the movie, not together, mm-hmm. but but we did both see the movie. And I think there's little to worry about because yeah. the character is kind of a pain in the ass as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> right. If, if you want a fish, you get something smart like a ray. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but really, Dory? I mean, who wants that dope hanging around? <laughs> and she's really depressing. Like, she's, she's she like, really is sad. I know. I she's like impaired mama. and everybody's feeling sorry for her. And oh, my God. And her only skill in life is talking whale. <laughs> It's terrible. It's terrible. So I, I don't think, and and um, you know, with the clownfish, you know why you know why clownfish is not a big food fish, right? <laughs> I bet I'm gonna find out. Uh, it's because they taste funny. Ah! Oh. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. But anyway, no, we both saw the movie. Now, one of the things Clay and I talked about was. So, like I said, I, I honestly don't think the blue tang is going to be because they are expensive and they're not just a one-off kind of thing. And like I said, it was kind of a depressing character. But the whole movie just kept screwing up the science left and right. Oh, on everything. Yeah, everything. Yeah. I mean, it was the movie premiered uh, during National Cephalopod Week, right? I don't know if you know that was last week. I do actually. Yeah, and I heard that on Science Friday. Mm. And uh, and there's a one of the characters is an octopus in it. Yes. And I'm looking for an opportunity. I'm always watch these movies. I'm like, okay, they have an opportunity to get things right, teach some kids some real science. And they talked about the, the tentacles of an octopus. And I went, all right, we're leaving. I, I got mad. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, should, they, should, I mean, they should hire you or some other fish nerd to just like go through the script and just correct the facts. Because it, it would be so easy to be right. Now, right. So, so the tentacles, what, what's wrong with saying tentacles of the octopus? Octopus don't have tentacles. They have arms. Oh. Yeah. So there's that. There's that. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, one of the things they played up a lot was the camouflage ability of the octo the octopus. Right. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. And it is amazing what the chromatophores that they're able to squeeze and do all sorts of crazy things with. Um, Rhett, I don't know, or Clay too, I don't know if you've read this, that the most amazing thing about the cephalopods that can do all that, all that crazy camouflage work is that they're colorblind. So there's I did some, not know that. They have another sense organ we don't know about? I'm pretty sure if I read the right thing, I, I, of course I don't have the citation now. But uh, I'm pretty sure they don't. They are colorblind. So then they're like, well, oh, crap. I, that I did hear on NPR this week that it's possible that their DNA is from aliens. Oh, I did hear that. Yeah. That's... Yeah, I think that, I think that was thoroughly debunked. Oh, easy. Just, just, just saying. No, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our fish nerd, uh, Erica Martin, Doc Martin, got really pissed off. Oh, about really bent out of shape. Yeah. Although that so... reminds me, did you guys see the story maybe three or four weeks ago where King Tut had a had a uh, knife made from extraterrestrial material? I did see that. <laughs> I did not. That is badass. That's like... <laughs> that's yeah, like made from a meteorite or something. Yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a blade of a knife made from a meteorite, and uh, that is pretty funky, you know? Uh, well, yeah. that's, that's how... If I, had to, if I had to kill a bunch of people, that's how I'd want to do it. Well, it's clearly a gift from the aliens that came down and yeah. visited the pyramids. I mean, clearly. Right, but we're straying away from, I the, know, uh, from I know. the point here. That's why we do this a lot, Rhett. Sorry. Still. Uh, no, no, no. That's quite all right. <laughs> do you know who we're talking to, It makes Dave? it more interesting. Rhett's a big deal. In, I, in know, the I know, I know. We're wasting They're, his time, yeah. I know. He even says things like these data. <laughs> so he gets it yes, right. I know. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's how you can tell a real science guy. That is. That is very true. All right. So, um, so you were saying with, with the clownfish, they didn't have a giant run on clownfish afterwards. Well, so, so that's, been the, that's been the story, and that's been a pretty consistent narrative. And you talk to people who worked in retail at the time, and they recall that there was just all this demand for clownfishes and, uh, you know, this, this, this uh, just people wanted them and people wanted them. Um, and, and then there, was, uh, there, there were several major media outlets that actually reported that, this, that the increase in sales was somewhere in the magnitude of 30 to 40 percent. And that was actually sourced based on a pretty credible, well-placed source within a company, an aquarium company in the United States. And everyone just kind of believed that and it kept, kept getting repeated and repeated and repeated. Um, and then we really began to go back in in the last couple of months and look at those numbers. And after reviewing a bunch of uh, confidential sales reports from aquaculture companies, after looking at import data that was um, that was acquired from the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, um, we just can't find uh, any data that support that anecdote that there was a 30 to 40 percent bump. Right, which so, is, which is yeah. weird and unfortunate because from what I understand, clownfish, they're, they're grown in aquaculture, right? So that's not a big deal if there's a lot of people who want to have them. Right. That's so, not a big deal. And that makes it a more interesting talk about dory right, and exactly. Tang, right? Because yes. you can't grow those guys or at least no one has. Right. That's the big difference. Um, you know, I mean, there, there's, there, clownfishes and and tangs are 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 very, you know, they're very different in lots of ways. But would they be of, friends in real life? Would they be friends in real life? Yeah. That's a good question. I got to tell you, when when I saw Finding Nemo the first time, I wanted a, uh, I wanted a deformed clownfish like Nemo. <laughs> so I, I kept looking, never found one. That I wanted to buy. So. Well, it's actually interesting you mentioned that. I mean, I, I don't know if anyone in your audience or either of you have read um, 
have read uh, 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 what's the name of the book? Uh, Dragon Behind the Glass. No. Hmm. Oh, it's awesome. You guys need to read it. Okay. Um, Dragon Behind the Glass is the story of the Arowana. Um, mm. It is. Um, it is. Uh, it just came out, and it is a really stunning uh, portrayal of the aquarium trade, largely the freshwater aquarium trade, and the Arowana and this fish. And and so I encourage everybody to. To read this book, it's incredible. But one of the things that the author talks about is uh, she talks about um, you know the, the breeding for um, for essentially deformities um, and that, how that increases value. And so we think about the marine aquarium trade, and we think about uh, the designer clownfish craze, where people are paying you know hundreds and hundreds of dollars for an individual little clownfish because it's been uh, bred and because certain uh, traits have been bred into it over time. Um, so we have fishes that look nothing like their wild counterparts. Um, and you know, all of a sudden they sell for all this money. So that's actually, so I'm just saying that you were actually ahead of the curve there. I am so cool. That was deformed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Clay Clay is usually so far ahead of the curve. He's actually back under the curve, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but, uh, now really, so that seems strange, although that's an old story with with dogs, canines, right? Yeah, sure. Sure. So, yeah. yeah, doctions. <laughs> you know, things that would instantly die in, in nature. Yeah. Right, right. And so when you're, you know, the, so, so a big difference that many people aren't aware, um, the, the, uh, the marine aquarium trade, the saltwater aquarium trade, uh, is predominantly wild fish. So when you walk mm-hmm. into your local fish store, Petco or some other fish store, to purchase a saltwater aquarium fish, um, the vast majority of saltwater aquarium fishes come from the wild. Whereas when we talk about freshwater fish, the majority of them come from aquaculture. Um, so in the in the marine aquarium world. Uh, with clownfishes and other species, you know, it's pu- sometimes it's it's pulling a fish from the wild that might be abhorrent or you know that might be uh, different than everything else in the reef, and then breeding it with something else that's different from everything else in the reef, and coming up with something new, and we get these new quote unquote new, you know, designer uh, strains of fishes that come along, and people pay a lot of money for them, and then they kind of go out of vogue. Wow, that's, that's amazing. Now I've always heard and and. Uh, I never do any research, so it's so exciting to talk to somebody <laughs> who does research. This is amazing. Um, I've heard people use dynamite to get some of these fish out of the reefs. Is that oh, true? I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a that's a that's a that's a big um, error. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we've, uh, and, and this comes up all the time. I can't tell you how many times in, in aquarium fish stories, it comes up that, you know, oh, and they catch them with blast fishing. So blast fishing is a, is a, is a significant, serious issue that needs to be addressed, um, across the Indo-Pacific. Uh, but it, it's not used to catch aquarium fish. It's used to catch food fish. Right. You um, know what I use? Um, like I, I, if I'm fishing in a very religious community, I use blasphemy fishing. Blasphemy! I'm like, God damn it! Why can't I catch you? I like that. That's good. Oh, my grandmother would roll over in her grave and then just fly to the top of these. <laughs> nice, nicely done. Thank you. Happy. Yeah, unfortunately, though, I mean, you do see you see blast fishing. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in Indonesia diving, and you see uh, you see the, the the results of blast fishing all over the place, and it's a it's a real problem. Yeah. Now, does a blast fisherman's tackle box just look like like M80s? You know, blasting caps. He's like, oh, what, what should I use today? 
It's a red it, square with a plunger on top of it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really wish it was more sophisticated because unfortunately you go into a village and you meet blast fishermen and you see a people who are missing a lot of uh, fingers and or limbs. This is lefty and stumpy. And... <laughs> exactly. So the other way, I was listening to another podcast that you turned me on to called Speak Up for the Blue. Hmm. Yep. And you were a guest on that like yesterday or something. Yep. And you were talking about using cyanide. Uh, yeah. To catch fish, which surprised me. Like, I've never even heard of such craziness. Can you tell us about that? Because I am I am usually not shocked by how crazy people are, but that to me, over the top. So, um, so the thing I think in terms of blast fishing, cyanide fishing, and other destructive fishing practices, I think the most important thing to, uh, to establish when we talk about these things is that um, it's usually – uh, colonists who brought these practices to the developing island nations, you know, centuries ago, mm-hmm. um, and then instructed the natives that this is how you can catch a lot of fish for us. Um, and so that's what happened with blast fishing. It's also what's happened uh, with cyanide fishing. So basically with cyanide fishing, you, um, you mix a solution into essentially a squirt bottle mm-hmm. and you dive onto the reef and you uh, perhaps chase your fish. If it's a blue tang, you might chase that fish into a, um, into a, you know, a, a coral head, a, a dense uh, finger coral head where the fish gets back into the corals. And then you go ahead and you squirt your little squirt bottle um, at it, and it stuns the fish momentarily, which gives you an opportunity to pull it out, stick it in your bag. Um, but the 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 bad part, well, there's a lot of bad to it. But mm-hmm. but one of the one of the really problematic things that people don't see immediately is the bycatch, the uh, the 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 collateral damage that happens. So all the invertebrate species that were in the range of that blast of cyanide um, generally are also killed. So um, so in the in places like Indonesia and Philippines, where cyanide use has been a real problem over decades, um, you have entire reefs that have been wiped out um, by cyanide fishermen. Wow. Mm, yeah. It's amazing. It's, well, that's not funny. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, there's no funny there at all. Yeah, nothing. <laughs> and it's not only it's not only aquarium fish, but it's also um it's also uh live food fish, which is uh increasingly a a, a big industry. Wait, in people many- are eating fish that have been squirted with cyanide? Yes. Yeah. Is that healthy yeah. for them? There's very few um, scientific studies on whether or not that actually uh, gets communicated uh, through to the consumer, um, but it would certainly give me give me pause. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so what's the take home message that you want people to come away with when they're thinking about uh, saltwater aquarium fish, thinking about the blue tang? Like, what what do we? What's our message here? What are we trying to convey to people? Well, I think, you know, we definitely don't want to see an increase in, um, in, in demand for blue tang. So if people have seen the movie and they think, hey, I'd love to have a saltwater tank, um, there are lots of better options besides a blue tang. There are actually lots of better options beside a saltwater tank. Um, if somebody's brand new and just sort of jumping in and isn't sure they're really committed to it. So I think that's really the take home message. Um, I, you know, we talked earlier a little bit about, you know, maybe there's not a lot of concern about people wanting to actually purchase a blue tang, but uh, the data clearly show that uh, the blue tang is one of the most popular 
um, marine aquarium imports to the United States. So if we look back over um, you know, the most recent uh, uh, data that are available, we see that the blue tang has um, been as high as the 10th most popular fish. And this is out of 2,300 species of fishes that are imported to the United States. Mm. So it's, it's been as high as the 10th most, most imported fish, um, you know, importing as many as um, you know, up to up to, gosh, a hundred thousand a year, more than a hundred thousand a year to the United States alone. Mm. So, so catching aquarium fish, you're catching one fish at a time. You're not doing giant trawling or anything like that. Is it possible or likely to wipe a species out that way, or is it just one of those kind of like, be careful? Like, you know, how many how many people are actually going to do this? Like, is it? It doesn't really matter. So um, I wrote a book a couple of years ago on um, and one species of fish called the Bengay cardinal fish. And the Bengay cardinal fish is the only species of fish uh, of which I'm aware um, that has come anywhere close to being an extinction concern because of the aquarium trade. And that fish is a very unique uh, species of fish. It's a fish with an extremely limited range and relatively low fecundity. So it doesn't reproduce in large numbers like most coral reef fishes do. Um, and so that fish by, uh, by aquarium collection alone was sort of thrust to, uh, towards that extinction, um, place and the national marine fishery service actually just listed it this past january on the endangered species list um but that's a very unusual situation with aquarium fishes most reef fishes are highly fecund and have a very large range so what we're really talking about when we talk about the blue tang i know of nobody who is seriously talking about uh the extinction of the species as a result of the aquarium trade uh what we're worried about is we're worried about um local overfishing localized overfishing and local extirpations and that certainly has happened and over you know six or seven years now of reporting on aquarium fisheries across the indo-pacific um the blue tang is the one species that consistently i've had fishers tell me we used to catch them here now we have to go further to find them and in some cases further to find them means going you know two weeks to catch this fish and then return with it. It is such a high value and such a valuable fish that uh, people, you know, fishers will do pretty extraordinary things to get them and bring them to market. So these fish live in the wild. They're catching them. They're hard to keep. Are they easy to transport? Do they, do they survive the shipping? Like what, how many fish die in, in the movement from one part of the world to the other? It completely depends on uh, – you know, where, where, you know, what, what fishery you're looking at. So in, um, you know, I've observed fisheries in Indonesia where there is extremely high mortality just between the fishery itself and the point of export from the country. Um, you look at other species though, you look at fishes coming in from Hawaii, for example, and you, you know, you have less than 1% mortality in those fishes. So it really depends on where the fish are being harvested and how they're being cared for along the chain of custody. Blue tang, because they're such a valuable fish, they actually tend to be cared for pretty well along the chain of custody. You know, one of the things that was really fun about giving this talk at the New England Aquarium last week was that I was allowed to, I was asked to speak on um, the six to the five to six percent of the trade that is actually based on the smaller developing island nations of the Indo-Pacific. So we're talking really cool places like 
Papua New Guinea, yeah. uh, Solomon <laughs> Islands, Vanuatu, uh, Fiji, um, and these places. You know, the marine aquarium trade there is um, is is really a, a positive thing. Um, it is one of the best resource extraction industries in these places. It's something that can uh, really create economic incentive to conserve, and it provides lots of socioeconomic benefit to these villages. So it can be a really good thing. The problem is, is that uh, more than 80% of the fishes come from Indonesia and Philippines, which are the two countries about which we have the most concerns when it comes to illegal, unregulated, and unreported fisheries. Wow. And there's no sort of, is, is there, I know with food fishes, they're working on a chain of, uh, I don't know what you call it, recognition of where you know the fish came from. Is there a, a similar thing in the aquarium trade? There isn't right now, and it's something that's being discussed a lot. Um, so I think I think looking at food fish um, as a model for aquarium fish is really useful in terms of regulation and how we manage them down the road. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see the marine aquarium trade surviving as a trade primarily dependent on wild fishes as long as there is not a third party you know certification or verification or assurance scheme like MSC or some of the other things that we see in seafood. Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. yeah. That's really good. Um, yeah, that's that's really good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else to say. We need to transition. We uh, do. I'll, uh, I, well, we should say, you know, the, the, Rhett is Rhett knows his stuff. Rhett wrote the book on, on saltwater aquariums. Rhett, what was your book on saltwater aquariums? Well, I did I years ago I did uh the complete idiot's guide to saltwater aquariums, which actually makes me cringe because it should have been the salt the uh, complete idiot's guide to saltwater aquaria, but uh the publisher <laughs> Penguin um said that no it must be aquariums. <laughs> Well, well, there you go. It is idiots, guy. I know the, yes. tar the target audience was idiots, so <laughs> it makes, but, uh, it makes so, sense. But you got so good reviews on Amazon. It did, so. and we and we tried to work a lot of uh, sort of conservation into that book, and and that was a that was a it was a fun project. And you know, and it, the fact that you get paid to do the stuff you love doing, and we talked about this when I visited you. I I, I got your whole history before, is amazing. I love to talk to people like you who have figured out how to carve a living in this industry, and it's it's not easy. And no, so I love seeing successful people like you and Karen doing it. It's fun. We we love it. Good. <laughs> Good. Glad Good. you love it. The end. All right, Dave, <laughs> let's move on. Let's do a, a promo here. <laughs> All right. So a promo. Mm -hmm. The OPC. Outdoor Podcast Channel. <laughs> We're part of that outdoor podcast channel. We are. You can get all your outdoor shows in one stream. Just go to outdoorpodcastchannel.com or iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast from. Simple. And it just so happens that this music is our Stump the Fish Nerds music. Ah, I love Stump the Fish Nerds. Yeah, exactly. And we have one that is for Rhett. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Uh-oh. I know, I know. It's really amazing. So. I, I, you know what, Dave? I say they're both for Rhett. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I think you are right. So um, the first one comes from a very good friend of ours. Dave and Clay, it's Ryan Dubay. I've got a question for Rhett. Um, as an avid kayak fisherman, I have been looking for a 
camera to take pictures of fish with on my kayak that is obviously going to be exposed to a lot of salt water. So if you have any recommendations on a specific camera or any tips, I would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. All right. Were you able to hear that, Rhett? I was, yes. Um, so I'm going to recommend that that uh, that you don't go the direction that I go, which means <laughs> that you carry loads of camera gear and housings and other things when you travel to these uh, developing island nations. Then you have to figure out how to store batteries and how to watch all your gear. Instead, get a GoPro um, in a nice little housing. That's definitely the best way to go these days. Um, or if you want to go even simpler, um, I've personally had remarkably good luck with the Olympus, uh, line of, of waterproof, uh, droppable cameras. Um, they have been wonderful to me and they've, uh, recently added Bluetooth and other, uh, you know, GPS and other nifty things that make, uh, that make looking at your pictures so much more fun. Good. Yeah. Good advice. Very good. Glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Th- this next one for Stump the Fisher. Yeah, because I, I, w- I wouldn't have said. I mean, GoPro, I guess, is is would be something <clears throat> I would have said, I suppose. Although I, yeah. I don't like GoPro. Have they finally put um, screens on the back of them? You can buy one, Dave. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's, it's a, there's a, there's a, there's a LCD backpack you can put yeah. on it. Oh, because yeah. that, that was the thing that disappointed me the biggest when I got one. It was like, well, crap, you can't see anything. <laughs> But uh, they fixed that. It's never been broken. It's always been available. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fine. Uh, Spend another 60 bucks. <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Clay, what, what would you have said? Uh, I would have recommended one of those Olympus uh, drop proof. <laughs> That's what I had for a long time. Uh, although it works until it doesn't. And then when right. it fails, it fails all the way. Oh, it fails catastrophically. You were snorkeling. We, yeah. I, was, I was snorkeling with mine uh, and taking some really great bluegill pictures with it underwater and having a fantastic time. Mm-hmm. And then the seal stopped working and it was over. That was it. <laughs> so. And, and- and so a more rudimentary piece of advice is that, um, you know, whenever you if you're going to be shooting underwater uh, before you go anywhere where you are taking shots that you absolutely need to have, make sure to test the seals underwater in a bathtub before you leave home and make sure to really care for those seals. That's the number one piece of maintenance you can do. So be always greasing those seals and make sure that the seals are in good shape. How do you grease a seal? You can buy it's a you buy this uh, material. You just pop out the O ring and then you just sort of rub your fingers along it, and uh, it's like a Vaseline sort of type of material. Mm. Sounds dirty when you say it, Red. Very. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right, this next one is is a little hard to hear, so uh, listen carefully. Hey, what's up, nerd? Uh, it's Paul down in uh, Charleston, Mass, and I live on a little pond and it's and down by my dock got a lot of fun circles going and I like to hit golf balls into the pond as well as fish and it seems like a lot of the fish find the golf balls and put them in the middle of their circles and I don't know if that's for some kind of bait thing or you know some some of the males or females trying to make their their little home look more attractive but yeah you guys could shed some light on that That'd be pretty cool. Okay, so if you didn't, if you weren't able to hear that, so he's at a pond, 
and there's a lot of um, sunfish and tarkids, and they're building nests, you know, the great circular nests. And he also likes to knock golf balls into the pond. And he was noticing that his golf balls are showing up in the reds, in the, uh, in the beds where the, the bluegill are. What do you think's happening there, Rhett? I haven't the foggiest idea. I have. <laughs> I can't say that I've ever seen golf balls in reds, but maybe that's just because I've never, I've never fished in places that are well. Well, I sh- I've fished in places in Florida beside golf courses, but I'm usually not snorkeling there because they're alligators. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't want to do that. Yeah, I don't know. I've never heard of that. Have you guys? I have no. not. And my theory. Is that well? First of all, I there are fish that could move a golf ball. So certainly lampreys could pick them up and move them around. Um, in a lot of the uh, chubs, um, hornyhead chubs, fall fish, they typically move things about golf ball size around. But obviously, in a pond like that, those things don't exist. I think he's knocking so many in the pond over the years <laughs> that they are actually all over the place, and the bluegill are actually cleaning the reds, and they just happen to uncover them. Ah, oh. that's, that's a good, good answer. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, I was. That's really good. <laughs> I, don't know. I, I was going to suggest that perhaps you know they're they're hitting the water, and there's a little bit of current, and because of the shape of the reds, they're just getting into the reds and kind of piling up. But I like your answer better. <laughs> a yeah. lot better. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would bet. Uh, yeah, they're just cleaning them off, and they're they're probably even pushing them pushing them around a little bit. I would bet. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't weigh that much. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So that's that's it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You've got to so, wonder too. I mean, like, is there possibly? I mean, is it? Does it? Would it have some advantage to to the eggs? To have a golf ball on top of them? I, I or to, or to, or for the eggs to be on top of a golf ball? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe the dimples mean something. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe like that. And then so so one of the advantages would be to avo- to have predators avoid it. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, you know maybe if they're freaked out by like you know something that looks like a giant eyeball sitting there. Well, we we know with we know with like saltwater aquaculture, for example, we know that fishes like certain substrate to lay their eggs onto. Mm. So you know, terracotta tiles are you know oftentimes used um, that are put into the tank, and clownfish will lay their eggs on it and care for them. And so I don't know. Yeah, maybe there's something evolutionarily going on there. Maybe you know there could be a whole nother project down in Florida now. Yes. <laughs> if you're looking for an excuse to head back down, you can study fish behavior in golf ponds. I have a fantastic story that's sending me back down there. So. Oh, really? Yes. Wow. Very, very good story. Well, you can't tell us? No, he can't. Cause... I can't tell you, but I can tease it. I can say that it has to do with odalis. Odalis. Oh, very, very intriguing. Lucky stones. Oh, yes. there it is. So, hey, when when it does come, if you want to share it with us, we'd be happy to uh, talk about it here with with whoever, with you. <laughs> so, or we'll just talk about it without you. Uh, so anyway, that was Stump the Fish Nerds. If you want to call in, call 607-378-FISH and leave us a voicemail, and we will play it on the show. Fish in the news. I love fish in the news. (laughs) I know you do. Uh, So uh, we have one fish in the news story. Yeah, and this comes in from, um, we have a protester, Dave. I know. I'm so excited. You know know you've made it in the world when you have a protester. Oh, she just does not like me. (laughs) She doesn't. She 
Let me just, uh, Rat, I'll give you a little background. This woman, I'm not going to say her name <laughs> to protect her. I don't know why. Uh, she, she lives in my community, and she's the videographer for the local cable access TV show, uh, TV station. And she's a, uh, a vegan, which is fine. I like, I, like, I like vegan food, and I like vegans. Uh, and uh, the, the reason it's relevant is that I work for the school system, and she videotapes school board meetings. And whenever I have to go to a school board meeting, she accosts me and <laughs> tells me how that I can't possibly be a good caretaker of our valley's children if I harm fish, because harming fish is exactly the same as harming children. That's her case. Yes. So that's her, that's, that's who, that's her background. And she's been uh, banned from lots of restaurants and stores, and she has a lot of uh, restraining orders out against her in the community. <laughs> so here's the email she sent me and Dave this week. <clears throat> FYI, thought you might entertain a higher perspective on the lives of those you haul out of their habitats because human privilege ourselves to take, because humans privilege ourselves to take what we damn please and ignore the outcomes. The lives of fish, that's all caps. Humans assimilate as top predator at our own peril that brings full circle every predatory act harming human beings. We teach predator, hence our victims of it. Ask, and I'm not going to read this person's name, uh, but it's a local, we had a kidnapping last year. It's the name of the local kidnapper who, who tortured a girl for a year about it. He epitomizes the behavior of human beings as top predator. So she's saying, essentially, I'm the same as this rapist. Yeah. Yeah, that's and then she links to the NHPR story. Um, Fish have feelings. Two inner lives of her underwater cousins. And right, you're familiar with this. Yeah, that's the uh, Jonathan Bolkin book that I'm reading right now. Yeah, how is it? Um, I'm I'm only a couple chapters in. Okay, I'm going to reserve judgment. Okay, uh, so so besides what he said, now we've heard this stuff before. Yes, and I, I listen. I listened to the whole interview. Did you hear his interview? I did not yet. It was not available on podcast. It was, this was the Fresh Air interview? Yes. Yeah, no, it was not available yesterday. So Okay, like well, to- we'll link it on our show. Um, but it was, on, yeah, it was on Fresh Air with Terry Gross. And, and basically he was, he was discussing uh, the, the ethology, ethology and sociobiology, neurobiology, ecology, all these great psychology words <laughs> of fish. Um, and whenever I hear this, I, I, you know, we talk about sentience and fish and – do fish feel the same way that people do? It's really hard not to like anthropomorphize. It's really hard not to assume things see the world the way we see it or feel the way we feel. So without reading this, Rat, what do you think about fish and feelings? Do they, do they feel stuff? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they feel stuff. It yeah. depends how we want to define <laughs> feeling. How do you measure that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, this is such a challenging. So rather than necessarily giving you my take on on sort of uh, fish sentience, um, I think the more interesting thing maybe to bring up is just that we're living in a we're living in an age where we're seeing more and more of this type of material, and um, and more and more sentience is ascribed to a larger and larger sort of group of of animals and it's gonna it's you know it's significantly changing the way society per, per, perceives things like uh hunting zoos keeping fish fishing um and it's that's a it's it'll be very interesting to see the way the, the way this plays out yeah i mean i think it's an overall good thing i'll tell you why i i think the fact that this is a big time you know it's got like 30 minute story on on fresh air uh it, 
I, I think the fact that this is our, uh, one of our big concerns, it shows that actually the violence worldwide is down. So we can focus on fish mm. and how they feel as opposed mm -hmm. to all, you know, wars and other violence. You know, like we have that kind of freedom to care or we're rich enough to care about that kind of feeling. Right. So it's sort of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're to a stage where we can start <laughs> futzing with this. Right. Like, all right, everything is good. Life is great. I need a cause. Oh, that fish, <laughs> that fish looks sad. <laughs> well, I, I'm the guy who, uh, who, uh, authored a piece in, um, in, uh, uh, fly fisherman magazine, uh, more than a decade ago that I, uh, continue to get uh, email about uh, you know uh, regular snail mail and email, and the piece was called uh, "Catch and Kill: A Conservation Ethic." Um, mm. And I th you know I think there I think I think I think it's worth I think it is worth fishermen sort of thinking about fish and um, you know the fishes they catch and you know as as broad a way as possible because I think there's you know there are, there are a lot of implications conservation um, and, you know obviously the species themselves and. Got Yeah. And one of the things I actually agree with our protester on is that the the way you treat these uh, fish that you catch actually, I, I believe, does sort of translate to how you view the world. So, uh, you know, for whatever reason, if you are violent to the fish that you catch and we've we've been on boats like uh, that have caught dogfish clay you have stories of people catching dogfish and just kind of brutalizing the dogfish that like putting putting firecrackers in their mouth and throwing them back in the ocean and that kind of thing yeah. it's terrible yeah. It's, yeah it is and terrible and yeah well though in the science will back up you know cruelty to animals and cruelty to people is not a big leap from one to the other now the it's a big leap from catching a fish and hurting kids that's a that's a big leap. Oh well, that's a ridiculous leap. Man. That's that's the assertion that that our friend is making. Right, and that's hyperbole. But uh, yeah. but I do think that the you know the attitude towards the way you handle the fish actually is important. And absolutely, uh, and, and I'll tell you too. The the I don't think she's wrong to send me these links and to tell me how she feels. If you truly believe that. Uh, that catching a fish and you know and catching a human on a hook would be exactly the same thing. Then it's your duty to tell me. Because if that's you have to, but I do I do rethink how I handle animals. Like I always think, okay, well, I'm not going to stop fishing. That's not an option, right? But I can be gentler, nicer, and kinder. You know, if that's possible. Yeah, that's so. Do you, so have you guys tackled the topic of whether or not you take a picture of a fish out of the water or keep it in the water? Interesting. So I created hashtag keep them wet. I I created a, a frame for taking photos of fish. So I, I took two pieces of plexiglass and put a hose in between the two, and, yep. fill, and it filled and it filled with water, and I could put a fish in there and take pictures. And I've also done underwater catch and releasing. So I've yep. been snorkeling with a with a with an ice fishing rod, and I'll catch and snorkel with a fish and take a picture and let them go without taking them out of the water at all. Yeah, so and, totally fun. And my sister, who is very um, you know pro animal, she's a dog rescuer and all this kind of stuff. She likes fishing, but she takes the hooks off of all the lures. So she, so she'll you know throw a bass lure out there, and the fish are bashing it, and that's that's enough for her. That sounds like fun. Yeah, actually, that does that a really good time. So we're just we're just messing with fish. <laughs> um, but yeah, on on that issue of of, I so my personal take is you know whether take a fish out to take a picture is I think it's our it's in our human essence to futz with stuff right i mean we our goal is seems to be to put our hands on things and for me mm -hmm. fishing for me is sort of a 
a cheap pseudo biologist fantasy that I can play out. You know, like I always, when I was growing up, I always liked watching Wild Kingdom and all this. And their biologists get to handle all these great fish, and they get to electrocute them, and they do all sorts of cool stuff. But with fishing, I can do that and release them, and I can still study them and appreciate them and all that. So um, my feeling is, yes, absolutely, you got to engage. You know, if you if we get to the stage where you can't even, you know, hardly look at them, like you don't want to make eye contact because it might freak mm. them out. I think we went too far. I don't make eye contact with fish. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, Rhett, yeah. where 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 do you stand on the uh, on the fish picks? Yeah. So I've um I've actually within uh, so the 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 um the impetus behind that catch and kill a conservation ethic uh, piece that I did for fly fishermen was really about the notion of, uh, I was living in Wyoming at the time. It was winter. Um, I was fishing a Creek. Um, I caught a really nice brownless one day, killed it to take home to eat and uh, was accosted. Once I got back up to the truck on the edge of the highway by a couple of fishermen with a TU sticker on their bumper. And, uh, they, you know, said, you know, I can't believe you just killed that fish. They had been fishing uh, near us all day and they'd been catching and releasing. Um, and my argument was, you know, I, I felt like I was the better conservationist to have caught a really nice fish, killed it and decided it was time to go home rather than um, fishing for, uh, you know, catch and releasing uh, a number of fish on relatively light tackle all day long that you were releasing. But the hook mortality, especially in the winter, was probably through the roof um, after they left. And so, you know, I th- for me, I felt comfortable at that point with saying, you know, I'm going to fish and I catch this nice fish that's going to eat for dinner and I'm going to go home. Um, so today um, I, I've, I've really stopped taking pictures of fish out of the water when I'm fishing, unless it's for, you know, something Karen's doing for her artwork, you know, if we're specifically looking for a particular fish that she's working on for a project, then we'll go ahead and take a bunch of pictures out of the water. Yeah. yeah. Well, very but good. I personally just don't take pictures, you know? So do you leave them, do you ever leave them in the water and, and like take pictures underwater of them? Is that how you, how do you do it? I, yeah, I actually, well, I have that little, that little uh, Olympus in, the, <laughs> in my pocket usually, and so I stick it underwater and sometimes snap a picture. But more often than not, I've just stopped taking pictures of fishes that I catch. Right. Well, you've seen them all. <laughs> I haven't seen them all, but, you know, it's like, it's like that's, you know, I do so much of what I do with fishes is professional that sometimes when I'm on the river by myself you know, or with my wife, you know, fly fishing, I just kind of don't want to think about taking pictures or sharing with anyone else later. I just want to kind of be in the moment. And that, and for me, that works. And I'm not judging anyone else's, you know, approach to it. But for me, that's just, you know, I kind of want to be unencumbered by all of that. It's, mm. It sure is easier. <laughs> it, it is easier. And what, I, what I've taken to is, uh, is to, to record my catches is uh, Giyotaku. So when I catch a fish, I dump uh. it in, in a bucket of ink. <laughs> and then I put a piece of paper on it and rub it really, you know, and get those fish rubbings. And then um, let it go. Yeah, some people have a problem with that, but um, God, Gia Taco is amazing. Yeah. What an awesome. holy mackerel! Holy hey, mackerel! Hey, wait a second, I have an answer for you guys. Oh, oh, so. My my friend, uh, Richard Ross, who is a biologist at the California Academy of Sciences, who is uh, one of the nation's leading cephalopod experts, um, uh, responded to me. I wrote to him at the beginning of the show when we were discussing uh, octopus and being uh-huh. colorblind. And he has confirmed that, indeed, octopus are colorblind. Hey! Wow. Hey! <laughs> uh, we got to get him on this show. 
real information. You'd love to have him on the show. Yeah, <laughs> way more entertaining than I am. That's You'd it. have you're gonna have to ask Richard Ross to come on the show. Yeah, that's great. Well, that's awesome that you were able to live, like you know, communicate to him and get that. <laughs> that's great. Whew. Super good. All right, so we um, we are going to uh, finish this section up this this podcast, and we always like to do a bit of a quiz. So this quiz, uh, Rhett, we've decided to put together a quiz on animal groups. So, you know, like a uh, pod of whales kind of thing. Yep. And we were inspired because we heard about stingrays. Do you know what a group of stingrays is called? I do not. Oh. Well, before you tell them the answer, this, uh, this, uh, I learned this last week. And then when we saw Finding Dory at the very beginning, spoiler alert, <laughs> there's a migration of stingrays happening. And I thought, oh, if the movie's true and they hired a good consultant, they're going to have my new word in it. And they, they called it a school of stingrays, <sighs> which just, I was like, come on. And even my, my nine-year-old was like, dad, they didn't get it. So it's a, called a fever. Ah, uh, yes, I have heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fever of rays. I love it. <laughs> so we are going to say some names, and some of them are true. Some are the some collections are true, and some are false. And you have to say whether they are true or is that what we're doing? False. Yes, that's what we're doing. Oh, I don't have the same thing in front of me that you have. But... <laughs> <laughs> it's a finely oiled machine. Yeah, <laughs> it is a fine oiled machine. So I will go first. The first one is a shoal of bass. I got gotcha. you. A shoal of bass. So, what do you call a a, a group of bass? Yes. Mm-hmm. And is it in, is it true that you call them a shoal of bass, or is that a false thing? Oh no! I a uh, shoal is definitely appropriate. Yeah. Very good. Ding ding ding. Very good. Yes. Oh, I see where you're going with this. Okay. That's actually interesting because I was gonna I was gonna call you on the shoal versus school of rays, but we won't go there. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, I got it, I got it from Finding Dory. Yeah, so it's not our fault. I was quoting the movie. <laughs> and plus, I didn't know. Is it also a show? Well, it depends. The, 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 that's a long etymological argument we probably don't want to get into tonight. Well, okay. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid of this quiz, Dave. I know. I, I like how he's like, no, don't uh, go right. there. You don't about... want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm scared. I know. Uh, how about a uh, trash of seabirds a trash of seabirds mm-hmm. i can't say i've ever heard that but but it sounds so gosh it sounds so unusual like i can't believe you made that up <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm gonna say yes it's true no i have a it's a, a wreck <laughs> it's called a wreck a group of seabirds is called a wreck, wreck. Mm-hmm. Uh, w-r-e-c-k okay yeah, yeah very good right Maybe yeah so <laughs> we're, we're learning with you tonight. <laughs> yeah, so that's good. So you're one for one now. So, uh, yeah. or, you know, one, whatever. Uh, one for two. Um, an army of herring. An army of herring. Yes. Um, as in the fishes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, an army of herring. Well, I've, I've never heard herring called an army. So I'm going to say, but last time I went with this, I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> talk logic, through, talk it through. Logic won't help you. <laughs> All right. 
I'm going to say no. That's not that's not correct. Oh, and you'd be wrong because it is correct. It is. Yeah. They they have somewhere been referred to as an army of herring. We're getting these from a highly yeah. reputable Stay website. Like <laughs> so an army of herring. Very good. Yeah. How about a, uh, you'll know this one, a smack of jellyfish. Um, I have heard of a smack of jellyfish, but I don't know if that's an official term. So I'm going to say yes. So yes. Yes, good. it is See? an official. Now you're on the winning side. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> a battery of barracuda. Uh, no, that's too much alliteration. Oh, well, according to the site, it is true. They actually are true. called a battery of barracuda. Yeah, go figure. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Huh. All right. All right. <laughs> I'm going to have to blog about this. This is fascinating. Isn't this really fun? <laughs> <laughs> Clay, you're up next. Yes. Uh, boy, how about a um, a couch of clams? <laughs> <laughs> So I like the alliteration. <laughs> oh my gosh! A couch of clams. Mm-hmm. Um, no, <laughs> no is right. Yeah, it is not a thing. Yeah, no, not, okay. not a thing. A purse of pelicans. Well, well give give them the answer. Oh, sorry. A uh, it's yeah. a bed of clams. Clam beds, yeah. you know. Yeah. 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 That's it. Yeah. A purse <laughs> of pelicans. <laughs> a purse of pelicans. Yes. Um, mm, that's a good one. I'm going to say no. Karen did a big study on pelicans this year, and I was with her for the whole thing. I never heard that. Wow, that's kind of a phone-a-friend kind of vibe you got going. Yeah. Since you, pulled her. You, you are correct. They, they are called a pod of pelicans. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, very good. How about a troubling of goldfish? <laughs> I love that. Yeah. If it's not true, it should be. <laughs> yes, I'm going to say that. Yes, that definitely is true. That it, must be true. It is totally true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, isn't that great? We're going to end on that one because I think that. And can, can I just can I add a little nice piece of trivia? Oh sure. In Maine, it would be illegal for me to put goldfish in the pond we just built. Even oh. a closed system. Yes. Yes. You, you know, I've read stories where they've raided Chinese restaurants. Yes. Yes. Oh. And they've raided this woman's home in Kenny Bunkport last year, two years ago. Yes. Yes, man. Yeah. So yeah. Is, is there is there a shady underworld underbelly of goldfish dealers in the state? There isn't, but Maine on one level takes invasive species very seriously. On another level, like so many states, they have uh, you know they have they have allowed and even at times um, encouraged uh, invasive bait fish and so forth. Um, so it's it's a very troubling situation, but. But they, uh, Maine has a very strict uh, list of, of, of allowed species. Yeah, well, you know, they're not called a troubling of goldfish for, for nothing. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> very, very good. All right. All right. Uh, any parting words, Rhett? Um, I think what you guys do is great. I think that uh, – in all seriousness, I think it is great. I think that uh, we need to have more conversations about our uh, our fish brethren. Um, I'm not sure we need to be having them at the level that um, that 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 book is currently having the conversation, but maybe. Maybe. Um, so the the dialogue though is is important, and the humor is much appreciated. So kudos to you guys. And do you know the author of that book personally? I I don't know. You don't. We're going to reach out to him and see if we can get him on the show. Yeah, he's Canadian, I think. Oh, okay. Hey. Oh, hey. Yeah, hey. right, yeah. Right. I was unable to get our typical um our typical <laughs> ending music, so we're we're gonna have to we're gonna have to live with this. 
Oh, our sexy music. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. That is it. That's it. <laughs> You've listened to a bunch of fish nerds when you should have been fishing. We'd like to thank our families for supporting us while we podcast, go on fishing quests, and do all sorts of silly things that middle-aged guys do. Oh, yeah. And if you would like, would like to support the fish nerds, you can help us crowdfund this show at patreon.com slash fish nerds and give us a dollar. <laughs> a very special thanks to Rhett Talbot. Thank you for being on the show, sir. Thank you, guys. You can find Rhett at www.retttalbot.com, and we'll link him, of course, on our Fish Nerds website. And until next time, follow the code of the Fish Nerds, spawn early and often. Oh, yeah. Avoid <laughs> free lunches with strings attached. And swim against the current every chance you get. Thanks, Rhett. <laughs> thanks, you guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Fade out.